Savor 2011. Coverage by Craft Beer Radio from Saturday, June 4th. Private Tasting Salon. Beers crafted for Cajun, Creole, and foods of the Deep South with Lazy Magnolia and Bayou Tech Brewing. All right, everybody's here. I congratulate you all on having chosen to start out Savor this way. You know, some people are going to finish up in a salon at like 9.45 tonight. You guys were the smart ones that got here early. It's all still, uh, you know, you're all still fresh and ready to go, and you kind of get to have a little bit of warm-up for things. Um, you know, this is a private tasting salon, in case you didn't know where you were. Uh, you'll have the opportunity to sample some pairings of food and beer with the brewers that made them and get a little of their own guidance and insight into, uh, into the process. My name is Steve Brott. I'm the brewmaster for the Free State Brewing Company in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, and I will be, your, I will be your, your, your host and introducer this evening. Um, I'm glad to know I have a fan in the room. <laughs> All right. Uh, Saver, now in its fourth year and already established as one of America's premier uh, beer and food events, is brought to you by the Brewers Association, the national nonprofit trade association representing the small independent craft brewers in America. Uh, I serve on the board of directors for the Brewers Association, and I'm also chair of the events committee, which puts on uh, Saber, as well as the Great American Beer Festival, another one of America's premier uh, craft beer events. Uh, this year, uh, coming on in late September, so if anybody can't quite get enough and you think you're going to want a trip to the Rockies, come on out. And the best way to find out about that is going to be to go to another of the Brewers Association's endeavors, which is craftbeer.com, where you can find out information about all the latest and greatest things going on in the wide, wide world of craft brewing. Uh, in addition to the efforts of the association's volunteers, uh, the association's incredible staff, all of you and the small independent craft brewers who are outpouring in the Great Hall tonight. Uh, there are a few other special supporters that deserve some thanks tonight. Uh, and they are the Reyes Beverage Group, the Brewery Oma Gang, uh, Dogfish Head Craft Brewery, Samuel Adams, CraftBeer.com, Allagash Brewing Company, the Brooklyn Brewery, Flying Dog Ales, Full Sail Brewing Company, New Belgium Brewing Company, Rogue Ales, Saranac, Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, Victory Brewing Company, Crosby and Baker Limited, Draft Magazine, GreatBrewers.com, Oak Beverages Incorporated, and Spiegelau, uh, providing the glassware that we'll be drinking out of tonight. And I might remind you, uh, you'll want to hang on to your glassware, so... Uh, be sure you take it with you when you're done here. Also, if you happen to miss something that one of our speakers says tonight, all of the Saver Salons are being recorded for podcast listening by craftbeerradio.com, giving you the opportunity to hear it all again. Uh, that also means that if you have some questions later on, um, I will try to get a microphone around to people that have questions so your own words can be Safe for posterity in your 15 seconds of fame. Uh, more to the point of what you all probably wanted to hear about, uh, tonight I'm glad to introduce two brewers. We, we really kind of get a bonus pack. We sort of get kind of three-ish over here. Or four, that's right. Uh, who will share their experience with Joie de Vivre, beers crafted for Cajun, Creole, and foods of the Deep South. 
Carlos Knott, along with his brothers, founded Biotech Brewing in Arnoville, Louisiana, with a mission to craft beers that complement the cuisine and lifestyle of Cajuns and Creoles, because for the Cajuns, it's all about the food. Carlos will introduce the diverse flavors of passion fruit on the one hand and cherry wood smoked wheat on the other to exhibit some of the ways that big flavors can come together in big ways. There is a joke in Louisiana that Cajuns do nothing in moderation. Um, Whether it is drinking, dancing, playing music, eating, or gambling, uh, they put their own spin on it and kick everything up a notch while you're hoping that... uh, Carlos uh, exhibits a little of that famed uh, uh, Cajun immoderation tonight as we go along. Uh, We also have the enchanting Leslie Henderson, who will be showcasing the beers of the Lazy Magnolia Brewing Company in Kiln, Mississippi, the first legal brewery to bring local beer to Mississippians. Uh, Leslie is also joined by her husband, Mark. Leslie and Mark took degrees in chemical and electrical engineering, respectively, and combined them with a passion for the art of brewing to create the Lazy Magnolia Brewing Company, and Mississippi hasn't really looked back since. Their beers are now available in six states, I believe, and we are fortunate to have them here in the district tonight. Leslie will be pairing some classic southern foods with the Lazy Magnolia's sweet potato cream stout, and Southern Gold, a brew that, reali- that utilizes local Mississippi honey. So, without uh, further ado, I will turn you over to uh, our speakers for tonight. And uh, again, if you need a microphone later on, I'll be your guy. Hey, well, good evening. Thanks for coming out. Uh, I think a little later, uh, Leslie's going to say, how y'all doing? Um, in Louisiana, we say bonjour, y'all. So, <laughs> appreciate y'all coming out. Hey, in Louisiana, the... We do a lot of hunting, and there was a couple of guys in the basin a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we call them Boudreaux and Thibodeau, and they were out there in the basin doing some hunting late at night, which is illegal, and uh, one of them flying saucers landed. And uh, Boudreaux looks at Thibodeau, he says, uh, what's that? He says, I don't know, let's uh, get a little closer. So they sneak up a little bit closer, and the door opens up, one of them big aliens comes out, you know, with the gray skin and the big eyes, and they're like... Uh, Man, what's that? Tibbetta goes, uh, I don't know, but go cook some rice. <laughs> In Louisiana, we eat everything. If it, uh, if it flies, swims, or crawls, we make a gumbo out of it. And uh, we had, last night, we had a lady at the last night event saying that she came to New Orleans and ate a main course every 40 minutes. So, we love to eat, which is one of the difficulties of being a brewer in Louisiana because everybody knows good food. Everybody can cook, their mamas can cook, their uncles, their parents, their nanas, everybody can cook, and they cook real well. So they have a real refined palate. They know good food, they know, know good drinks. So it's one of the, the difficulties. We have some others in the South. The other one mainly is that it's hot. So you gotta brew a, be- a beverage that's also refreshing. It's hard to do a, a triple IPA or an imperial stout because uh, it's almost always over 100 in Louisiana. And then the last kind of difficulty we both face is that New Orleans is like the sun. Everything revolves in the south, around New Orleans, the deep south. So everything we do, we have to keep that, that monster in mind. Um, but we've been in business about a year making beers to complement Cajun and Creole cuisines. Uh, it's on a family farm. It's right between our crawfish pond and our bean field. 
it's all family right now. We're looking to expand this year and hire or adopt one of the two, uh, some more employees. And uh, the nicest thing about this last year is that we met so many nice people in the business uh, and people who enjoy beer. And two of the nicest people we met are Mark and Leslie. And I'm going to hand over the microphone to Leslie. Oh. Well, let's get started and introduce your first beer first. You've got some lovely passion fruit beer. So tell them about that. Uh, Stephanie, you're, the, you're actually the brewer. You're the one going to brew school. Let's do this. I can't believe you just did that. <laughs> <laughs> I am unprepared. Um, our, uh, I'm sorry. Our um, Grenade, of course, it's spelled grenade, and Carlos has to make it difficult and uh, uh, give beers names that everyone can't pronounce or they're spelt like something else. But it's called Grenade, and it's a wheat beer, and it has, uh, it has uh, passion fruit extract, or not extract, I'm sorry, pure passion fruit puree, puree that we use. And the first time we brewed this one, we weren't really sure how much to use, and uh, it came out tasting like grapefruit juice. It was so... <laughs> but we thought we were on to something. It really tasted good, but we had to tone it, tone it down. Um, I really don't know a lot more of the details about it. Um, but it pair, what are you pairing it with tonight? Uh, let me let Carlos do that. <laughs> it's like the Commodore. Is this one working? Yeah. Uh, Grenade is a Cajun French word for passion fruit. Uh, when our ancestors came to Louisiana, it was growing wild. And uh, they called it Grenade after the, uh, the pomegranate, which is what the proper French call a Grenade. Um, it's being served with a cheese called Prima Donna. It's a relatively mild uh, Gouda cheese. Uh, it's aged for a, for a year and a half. Um, it's, uh, they can be aged up to four or six years, these Gouda cheeses, but this one's a year and a half. So it's still pretty creamy. It's still pretty milky and, and, and sweet. And so traditionally, it's served with either a really fruity wine, like a Beaujolais, or um, served with fruit, to, or with fruit. So we thought uh, that since this is a fruit beer, and it's still a pretty relatively fruity beer, that it would go well with this cheese, uh, as it's traditionally served with fruit. Oh, yeah, we got all these cheeses from a great company in New Orleans, by the way. If you guys ever get down there, it's called St. James Cheese. They're geniuses. Uh, they actually came up with these pairings for us. Um, they sent all this cheese up here for us to use for the tasting tonight as well. It's the one all the way. If you look at uh, it's the, uh, the yellowish kind of cheese, the paler cheese. Right. Does everybody have beer? Does anyone need more? <laughs> you got a beer already, Cheers. It's the worst part about I could get I could get one for myself. We are glad that you all are here this evening. And you'll notice that uh, about every fifth word that comes out of a southerner's mouth is y'all. So you, you can spot them very, very quickly. We, uh, uh, we are glad that you all are here this evening. I uh, hope that you have a good time. Uh, I want to remind everybody, if you have any questions, uh, don't hesitate to ask them. Uh, we can do it raise your hand style or you can just stand up and say, wow. I got a question. Uh, pretty much anything will work. Uh, as Carlos said, this one is uh, designed to go with the cheese uh, that looks kind of like a Swiss cheese over uh, on that side of the plate. 
And these are going to be lined up actually in order as we go through the tasting process. I'll tell you a little bit about uh, uh, Carlos introduced by Yutesh, uh, which is one of the, the newest breweries uh, down in the south where we're at. Uh, Lazy Magnolia got started uh, seven years ago now. Uh, that was uh, 2005. Uh, we, we started the very first brewery in the state of Mississippi, uh, which is an interesting task. If you, you know, almost anywhere else that you would go in the country, uh, you can go to someone else and you say, how did you do it? Uh, and in Mississippi, we didn't have that. Uh, I thought it was illegal when we got started, uh, but I did it anyway like any good Mississippian would. Uh, many, many years ago, back uh, in the early 60s, we actually had a black market tax on booze. So uh, it was actually illegal to have booze in the state of Mississippi, uh, yet there were official taxes on it. Uh, and the highest paid public servant, the second highest paid public servant in the country, was actually the person who collected those taxes in the state of Mississippi. I think that's his official salary was the second highest, right? His, his real salary is probably a little bit better than that. <clears throat> but we've, uh, we started in uh, 2005. Uh, we had actually started, Leslie and I started, as many of you might, if you ever wanted to get in the beer business, as home brewers. Any home brewers? Yeah? Uh, you're well on your way to owning and uh, enjoying all of the pleasures uh, and the blood, sweat, and tears that go into uh, to having your own brewery. Uh, we actually, some people ask us about Lazy Magnolia, the name. Uh, when we brewed beer, we brewed on our back porch. Uh, Leslie's actually the brewmaster. Uh, the very first batch, uh, she bought me a beer kit for Christmas one year, uh, which I had a grand time with uh, for the very first beer that we made. Second one, she stopped me about halfway through and said, what did you just do? I said, I don't know. What did I do? And she said, did you just scratch your face? And I said, yes. You can't scratch your face and brew beer. Said, what do you mean? I'm having a good time. I'm drinking some beer. I'm making a beer. It's not a big deal. So get out of here. Uh, I need a work chiller. If we're going to make good beer, i got to have a work chiller. And so I got sent on an errand to make stuff while she brewed beer. Hobby, of course, uh, got out of control, but... We brewed on our back porch, and we live uh, kind of in the marsh area of South Mississippi. And the soil there is absolutely terrible. Uh, right off our back porch, we're a set of magnolia trees, three of them uh, that are just in terrible, terrible condition. And they struggle to scratch a living out of that sandy soil, and every year they would bloom late. And as a result, we called them, of course, the lazy magnolias. And that's where the name of the brewery comes from, is right off that back porch. And it's what we love about the South. We all know our neighbors. Uh, in our neighborhood, there's a party that goes on every weekend. You just don't know whose house it's going to be at. And they generally don't know either until we all show up. I think there's been a party going on at my house all week, and I wasn't <laughs> even invited. So how's everybody enjoying the Grenade? So imagine yourself in... The heat we had today, plus about 20 degrees, plus 100% humidity. How awesome would this taste, sitting out on your back porch, swatting away mosquitoes, and uh, enjoying a little bit of cheese? Wonderful stuff, huh? So are we ready to go to the next one? How, how's our timing? Okay, not hurrying anybody up. There's plenty of beer. Take your time. Beer is not something we get stressed out about. 
and if you want to keep it for whatever reason, because uh, where we're from, it would be alcohol abuse to put it in the bucket. Yes, there, there are no buckets in yeah, Mississippi. Yeah, not, not where we're from. But uh, uh, if we have some volunteers to chug the buckets, that would be good as well. <laughs> And there are little plastic cups, so if you want to have a whole lineup and do a little tasting afterwards. Uh, but we're going to move to the Southern Gold. So Southern Gold, uh, my family years ago, uh, like many families in South Mississippi, is involved in the bee business. Uh, not that many family, families are in the bee business, but they're all in agriculture in some way, shape, or form. Uh, Uncle Milton, as I grew up calling him, uh, runs about 1,200 colonies of bees, which is quite a few. And what we did is we asked him for his best honey. And the honey is actually a gallberry honey. You guys probably are not familiar with gallberry. You'd be probably more familiar with clover honey uh, or an orange blossom honey or something of that nature. But gallberry is actually from a plant called Yopon vomitoria, which sounds truly bad. Uh, the Indians in the local area, the Choctaws, would actually use this as part of their rituals. Not the honey, the leaves. The leaves of the yopon. Let's be very clear. Uh, because they are hyper-caffeinated. Uh, and as, as we all know, if you drink a little too much caffeine, uh, you can feel a little queasy. Uh, and so they would actually make a tea from this hyper-caffeinated uh, plant uh, so that they could uh, eat for long periods of time. Right? So they would, they would, they would eat... And then as a sign of their manliness, right, they would drink some of this tea and then go back out, come back, and eat a lot more, right, and repeat that cycle. But as it turns out, this, this plant forms just this teeny tiny little bitty white flower. And in the, about this time of year, actually, the entire woods are lit up with gallberry leaves. And just this wonderful, wonderful light uh, nectar shows up, and that's the honey that goes into making this beer. Uh, you'll get some of the aroma associated with the honey. Uh, you'll notice it's a little darker than you might expect out of just a light ale. Uh, but we really strive and we work real hard to make sure that that honey aroma makes it all the way through to the finished product. Not so much the sweetness, but definitely the, the aroma. And actually, this beer was made for tailgating in South Mississippi. The, the Golden Eagles are, is the mascot for University of Southern Mississippi. So we kind of made this in homage of USM, and the honey is collected about 15 miles from the university. So this is kind of their, their campus favorite beer. So definitely a lighter style, easy to drink, perfect for pairing with hot dogs, hamburgers, and sausage, like what you have um, next to the cheese. And Carlos, would you tell us about the meats that you brought in? Um, we have two meats. The first one is crafted at St. James. It's the, uh, the, looks like ham. It's duck pastrami. They take a uh, duck breast. And it's the same ducks that they make fagua with. So they're really rich tasting uh, duck. They've really been fed a, a rich diet. They take those and they put them in a dry cure for about a week. It's got uh, coriander and black pepper and some uh, curing salts. And after a week, they take it out and smoke it in the same, in a cherry wood that we grow in Louisiana. It's a native cherry, black cherry. And they smoke it for a couple hours. I think, I think it's six, seven. I have it here. Six, seven hours. And then uh, they carved it up for us, sent it up here. It's uh, really rich. There's a hook uh, with the beer. It, it hooks into this uh, smoky taste of the meat. I don't know if I can describe how it works or why it works, but it, it's got uh, maybe it's the, uh, the flavor of the honey, the herb flavor of the honey. 
hooks in with this meat. The sausage is a traditional Cajun sausage. It was crafted in New Orleans at Cochon Restaurant. It's called Andouille. It's a heavily smoked pork sausage. It's usually coarsely ground and highly seasoned. Now, in Louisiana, we traditionally eat it in other stuff. We cook it in our greens or our beans or our gumbo. Uh, but it does make a good po' boy. If you slice it and grill it, it does make a good sandwich as well. It as well also, I guess it's the tailgating nature of this beer. It really works well with the beer. You guys got a chance to try, uh, try the Southern Gold yet? All of our beers, uh, and this is probably true of most of Southern beers when you start talking about the Deep South, are what we would refer to as session beers. Uh, you know, you get up a little further north, it cools off a little bit, you can drink a 10% beer, walk outside and go, okay, all right, I'm good. You do that in South Mississippi, you drink a 10% uh, beer, you walk outside in 100 degree heat, right, and they call you an ambulance. So, it, you know, it's, it's, it's part of what Leslie calls the difference between home cooking, right? Home cooking in Maine is a little different than home cooking down south. And beers have to kind of follow that climate. So, uh, any questions at this point? Y'all are welcome to ask. I'm not going to answer any of them, but y'all are welcome to ask. For this beer, we just use bittering hops strictly, and we use um, typically a high alpha acid, very clean hop. So it really depends on what's available at the time, because most of the flavor and aroma is coming from the honey and from the malts. We do use some honey malts, so the hops are not a big part of this beer at all. So kind of unusual for the, the craft beer scene these days, but that's, that's how we're doing things in, at Lazy Magnolia. Any other questions? That goes in the later part of the boil. Uh, it took us a while to figure out how long it needed to be boiled. Uh, at first, we didn't boil it long enough, and we were getting plugs of wax in the heat exchanger. So, so now we give it just a little bit longer, but not so long that it's getting rid of a lot of the aroma. And uh, it's been working out great for us. We've also noticed that this one, uh, from a carbonation standpoint, like many breweries, right, we'll cap a beer off. We'll let it continue to you know, ferment and self-carbonate a little bit. And then we go back through and we, we polish it up, right? We get it to the spot where we want it. And this beer is very, very sensitive to over, right? That if, you know, you, you set that with a pressure and then you, a flow meter and you say, all right, I'm going to let it go. Uh, you can actually, through that process, scrub out some of those aromas. So if, it, if, it, if you allow it to carbonate for too long, if that process takes longer than you would like it to, right, you can actually scrub out some of those flavors. You have to be very, very careful with this. From a production standpoint, the other interesting thing about honey is that uh, sterile filtration and honey don't go together. Is that honey has all kinds of very small proteins in it that will pass through every filter that you've got in line except for the sterile one. And uh, filters, as you go down the chain, get more and more expensive. And so honey proteins bypass all the cheap filters, right, and land in the expensive ones. So... It's an interesting aspect of the process. Yes, and just a very painful one. So how's everybody doing on the honey beer? This one, by the way, I think makes a really nice shandy. I know that that may be sacrilege to some of you to mix anything in your beer, but come on. Have fun with it. Whatever you like. Unfiltered? Not that one. And it really wouldn't be that much different because the yeast we use is a very highly flocculent 
clean fermenting yeast, so it would just be a tiny bit more cloudy. So I don't think it would make a whole lot of difference. In the South, people just are not used to cloudy beer. There's something wrong with a cloudy beer. So, you know, we're trying not to shock people too much and bring them into the fold gently. So we actually have plans to do a cloudy wheat beer as a seasonal at some point because enough people are getting into the movement these days that they can kind of handle it. They'll drink cloudy moonshine now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, different issue. So are we ready to try the Jefferson Stout and some oysters? Um, Along those lines, though, this beer is not sterile filtered. Uh, This one, it goes through a a filter bank, but it's really just catch the chunks of yeast, as you call it, right? Uh, It does not go through a sterile filter. Uh, Are there any other engineers in the room? Does anybody know an engineer? I'm so sorry. I married one. Uh, Again, I'm very sorry for her. Um, And and, uh, some people ask, you know, how is it you came to to get into the beer business? And it really was her. Uh, Leslie is uh, actually trained American Brewers Guild. Uh, brewer, uh, did that. Stephanie's in that program now too. Yeah, uh, you did that in 2003, and it took us right at two years to build a business plan, uh, get everything together, uh, figure out how we were going to do things, and make sure that it was legal in the state of Mississippi. Uh, in front of you now, you should have a sweet potato cream stout. Uh, it makes one of the best ice cream floats you can imagine. What's that? Uh, two parts ice cream, one part beer. Uh, what it does is for people who are not really used to drinking stouts, it spreads the flavors out far enough that they can really taste all the, right, all the crazy things that are going on in this beer. Uh, Leslie did this originally. We, wanted a, we were going to do a, a Christmas beer, uh, uh, or actually a fall beer. Typically when people would do something with pumpkins. And pumpkins are not a big southern kind of vegetable. So we said, what can we do? And uh, Leslie spent a good bit of time uh, and said, you know what? We probably can do sweet potatoes. And they provide some soluble starch. They provide a little bit of color. Uh, They go into the mash part of the beer-making process, and they go away. So Not the first time. The first time I did this, (laughs) 15-barrel batch, I bought... 50 pounds of raw sweet potatoes, shredded these things. Thankfully, I had help from a little home blender kind of thing. And threw these shreds into the mash tun, and I had to pick every one of them out by hand. So they stuck everywhere, in the grates, on the rakes, everywhere. It was a mess. So then we learned that it's better if the sweet potatoes are roasted and mashed. Well, not at the time. This was when it was me doing everything. But now the, we do roasted mashed sweet potatoes, and it works out so much better. They do disappear, and it's, it gives the beer a lovely little color. If you hold it up to some light, you can probably see just a touch of the orangey color because it's not a super um, dark stout. Actually, I'm not even sure it really truly counts as a stout. It's more of a porter, but in the south, things get lightened up a bit. So um, that's just the way things happen. A lot of coffee in this beer uh, and chocolate. Uh, when, when we tell people about beer, right, and you talk about beer from what we would call light beers all the way to dark beers, and I, I hear all the time people say, I don't like dark beer. And you go, that's funny because dark's not a flavor, right? But they're, they're used to Guinness, 
And they say, ah, when you say dark beer, you know, I'm, I'm expecting something that is uncarbonated, uh, a bit astringent, right? And that's not what this is at all, right? So if you span that gamut, you know, of light to dark, there's another axis there of flavor profiles, you know, when you come up on an axis and down on that axis. And, in, and this one is on the sweet side as opposed to being what we typically think of as stouts, which are typically very dry. And then, of course, you know, carbonation adds another dimension to this. We've tried it uh, both flat and carbonated. We prefer it hands down carbonated, and that's true of most things in the South. It provides just a little bit of that crispness that allows you to actually handle this beer in the summer. Very light in alcohol. The alcohol runs. And it does have lactose in it. So we use, we back sweeten that with just a little bit of lactose, right, to balance that all out, make it very approachable. And you can throw a marshmallow on top and call it a sweet potato cream pie. Any questions? This is intended to go with that oyster on your plate. Well, I'm going to say, if you, don't, if you don't want your oyster, I'll take it. <laughs> well, I know, I know the pairing is an oyster, but we had done a beer dinner at a wonderful restaurant in Lafayette named Charlie G's. And we had, um, we really don't, ha- we didn't have a beer at the time that might work well for dessert. So this is the beer we picked. And the chef did do a wonderful um, Sunday with it. I don't know if Sunday is the right word. It was a float, actually. And they had um, some maybe candied pecan or candied in the bottom, did a little bit of uh, ice cream in there, and it was so delicious. I think I I couldn't finish everything, but I finished that for the the beer dinner. And I was so surprised, but it it was really delicious. So you can put it with ice cream. It started out as a seasonal, but what's the purpose of seasonals? It's really to try out new things to see what's going to latch on in the marketplace. And this one did. So we realized that it was light enough that really you could drink it year-round, even in the south. And it really filled out our lineup. So our flagship is a nut brown ale, which we'll have downstairs. You should come by and try that. And then we have the honey beer, a wheat beer, and the stout is our darkest beer that we have year-round. We also have sort of what we call a deep south pale ale, which is not too overly hoppy. But this one landed on the year-round lineup, and it's not going anywhere. Um, Really, among the brewers, we all think that this is the best beer that we make. Now, we don't bottle it yet, but that should be happening later this year. We do, actually. Right now, we have two seasonals sort of that we're working with. One's a limited edition. We took our Southern Pecan Nut Brown Ale, aged it in bourbon barrels, and wow, amazing stuff. And we're, we're also brewing a beer that's kind of in the same vein as the Grenade, um, ours is a little bit lighter and more of a colch style rather than being a wheat beer, and it's brewed with lychee fruits. So, lychees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we're not calling it. We're not calling it lychee beer. It's a little fruit. It looks like a red um, little pine cone. It's got a spiny cover to it. It's a leathery covering. You can peel that off, and the fruit inside is almost translucent, milky white. It has a little seed in the middle. The flavor is somewhere between a grape and a peach. And I picked that fruit because originally we were working on a cantaloupe pale ale, which was really beautiful, but nobody 
does commercial quantities of cantaloupe juice or puree. So we had to pick something that was very close. And the lychee works beautifully. So any of you homebrewers out there, sounds weird, but it's good. The cantaloupe pale ale. I hate to tease people, but try this if you're a homebrewer or you know, even just get a pale ale that you love. Juice a cantaloupe. Pour some of that in there. Oh, my gosh. The flavors just pair so beautifully. The cantaloupe flavor and the hops, especially dry hops, amazing together. Um, our brewers have been doing a lot of firkins, so they, they pair all kinds of crazy stuff in, in beers. And some of these combinations just really hit home. And hops and cantaloupe are one of them. So try that out. Yes. For the stout, actually, that one's one of our fastest fermenting beers. So it's in the tank about um, 10 to 14 days before it's ready to filter. And uh, pretty fast settling yeast. So a combination of some dry fermenting American yeast and a Belgian yeast. Um, it is actually a dry strain called S33. Now, uh, part of the magic of the beer, too, is the water. In our area, it's very soft and highly alkaline. We don't do much to that water either. And of course, with dark malts, you're okay with alkaline water because the dark malts are going to add some acidity to that. Any other questions about the beer? Well, just, you know, in the South, it's hard to do a seasonal because we don't have any seasons. <laughs> so, hurricane season. Hurricane season and, and hot. Guys, uh, everyone tried the, uh, the oyster and the stout? That's a traditional Irish pairing. The Irish, uh, it's one of their big meals is uh, oysters and stout. And we love oysters in the Gulf Coast. They're very different than the ones up here. Um, but this is a nice pairing. Uh, stouts are a very versatile beer. They go with just about any meal you can think of, except for some of your very lightest courses. Um, we use it a lot, uh, gumbos, jambalayas, dessert. Um, you can use it for plenty of meals, raw oysters, a lot of seafoods from southern seafoods. It works well. It's, I think it's the, uh, the roasted flavor kind of hooks into the, uh, the charred flavors of a lot of our meals. Time for Bucone. I think our last beer of the evening is our smoked wheat. It's Bucone, which is the Cajun French word for smoked, smoked foods. Oh, thanks. When our... Uh, our grandfather, every year in July, would cut down a wild cherry tree. Uh, they grow like weeds in South Louisiana. He'd, uh, he'd harvest the wood. He'd chop up the wood and put it in his smokehouse, and he'd use that to smoke all of his meats for the year, his uh, hams and tassos, andouilles. And then uh, they would harvest the little cherries. They're little, they look like little holly berries, really. They're not full-size cherries. And he'd make moonshine with that for the holidays. So when we were thinking about making a beer to uh, honor our grandfather... Uh, my brother Byron said, well, let's, let's smoke one with cherry wood. So our first batch, we uh, chopped down a cherry tree. and, and <laughs> Not the whole tree. Yeah, well, a couple of tree, limbs out of it. Now, we did, we did save the cherries to make the moonshine. We did do that. Uh, they call it cherry bounce in Louisiana. But uh, we smoked a beer. We really liked it. Uh, we played for a few months over the amount of smoke we wanted in the beer. Uh, we wanted something that went with a lot of our meals. A lot of Cajun meals have smoked sausage or smoked ham in them. And it really gives a hook, I think, for two reasons. A hook with the, 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 the beer and the food pairing is that they both have smoke. Or if it's not a smoked meal, it's usually a, in Louisiana a meal that could have something smoked in it. So even if it's just a roasted chicken, you can smoke a chicken. So that smoke kind of works both ways. 
And the other thing, I think way back in our brain, like that lizard part that we share with lizards, we, lo- we still remember eating a lo- all of our meals on smoked over a campfire. And whenever you taste a smoked pig, it's like you're in heaven. And so, at least we are. So, uh, I think any kind of smoked meat or smoked beer and a pairing with the food just wakens up that lizard brain in the back. It is, at, our, at the brewery, our favorite uh, beer. We drink it almost every day for lunch with whatever we're, we're cooking because we, we cook as much as we brew beer uh, at the brewery. And it works really good. This is a blue cheese from Spain, and they changed it up on me, so I'm going to have to read the notes here. Excuse me. It, uh, it is called Baldeon, and it's a, a rich and creamy, uh, it's a raw cow cheese, uh, cow cheese. It's got 20% goat's milk in it, though. Uh, these are made in Spain, that Basque area, which kind of is between or the northern part of Spain that borders on France. So it's kind of got some French flavors in it as well. It's not like a strictly Spanish blue, which I think is why it works so well with uh, Cajun beers. Uh, yeah, exactly. exactly. Now, the, these, uh, these cheeses are wrapped in sycamore leaves to age, and that also adds like a, a, a herbal undertone, which really works with the smoke flavor, I find, as well. Um, and the, these cheeses and the beer are both pretty complex flavors. And although it doesn't seem like it'd work, a, a blue cheese and a smoke, it really is a, a genius pairing. And the guys at St. James thought this pairing up, and they use it every month at their beer school. Uh, both, both flavors, both the beer and the, uh, and the cheese, are both pretty bold and spicy. Um, let's see. Now, this is a pretty, on the scale, this is the way they described it to me at St. James Cheese, on the scale of blue cheeses from, like, mild to stinky, this is like in the middle, so it's not, it's not an overly assertive blue cheese. It's like right in the middle, and it really works well with the, a, our, our temperatures in the south, you know, something refreshing, and with the beer as well. You guys have any questions on the uh, beer or the cheese? I know Carlos was saying, Byron was talking about smoking, smoking this beer, but I have to blame Carlos for, the, for this recipe, and actually... Carlos does come up with all of our recipes. He's very creative and has been homebrewing for probably 20 years um, doing different things. But Carlos is addicted to barbecuing, smoking meats. I don't know any other guy who has five different pits. He has charcoal pit, he has gas grill, and he has several smokers. So <laughs> he's definitely a smoked meat uh, aficionado. And if I let him make cheese at the house, he'd probably do that too. So... Um, this is something he, he surprised me with. It. I didn't know he, he was making a smoked wheat beer. Um, we did our, um, our ribbon-cutting ceremony at our little pilot brewery in Arnettville, and we invited a few members of local press. We're, we're a very small town, um, Chamber of Commerce, and our priest, Father Brown. And I thought, well, um, this will take a, maybe 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Whatever. Everybody will have a little... And Carlos, of course, had prepared a full spread, which he made himself of different um, hors d'oeuvres for everybody to have because he always is a good host. And people love to tour, even the Pilot Brewery, because he's going to have food for them and he's going to have beer, and it's a, it's, it's a fun time. So the event, it took a little longer than I thought, or people kept hanging around and hanging around. And after maybe an hour, hour and a half, I noticed, you know, everyone had left but Father Brown. 
and he was still enjoying his, uh, his smoked, uh, his boucané. And then he started talking, and he's a very engaging, really uh, nice guy, very intelligent, um, fluent in French, of course, uh, in our area. And the afternoon kind of lingered a little longer. I thought, well, I need to go pick up. We have our, our daughters in school. Her name's Michelle. I thought, I need to go pick up Michelle. Surely he'll, you know, finish up and be gone by the time I'm back. So I picked her up. I got back. He was still there. And Carlos entertained him. I don't know till well, finally I left, but uh, Father Brown kept asking us. Uh, this was just some test batches Carlos had done. And he still was asking. Finally, it's in a bo- you know, bottles where we can give it to him. But it was uh, amazing. He was not leaving until... All of the beer was gone. So we, <laughs> so. we, we leave Mass every Sunday for about six months after this ribbon cutting, and every day we're walking out of, every Sunday we're walking out of Mass, we're here. When can I get some buccone? <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, buccone is the Cajun word uh, for smoked. Is that correct? Well, smoked food. Smoked food. We have a separate word for smoke, like smoking is fume. But uh, smoked food is bucone. And smoked, I, th- I think I said, with the cherry wood. Um, we're going to probably end up chopping down all the cherry trees on our property uh, at the, at the <laughs> <laughs> little batch we have. But um, it's, uh, it's our favorite beer. We drink it, I think, almost every day at the, at the brewery. Is all the green smoke? No, it's, uh, it's a lightly smoked. We only smoke a small portion. And actually, now we're getting it from Brees. Um, their it's cherry, cherry wood, wood smoke. smoke it's very so. similar. But it's, um, it's a, a light smoke, maybe probably 10%, 15% of the, of the grain bill. But the flavor um, when he made it using that was very close to uh, what he had made on his first batches. So, And actually, when he made it, it came probably when he first started making it. I know he puts a lot of thought into his recipes because um, sometimes they, a lot of them come out good right, right at the beginning. And he'll come up with some things, and he'll keep it a secret. So I was kind of irritated about that. He was working on a special beer for Craft Beer Week, and I didn't know anything about it. I was kind of looking in his email, and I said, well, what is this beer that you're emailing about, or do you have this ready? Uh, it was for one of our, uh, actually a uh, bar, barkeeper in New Orleans, our bar owner. He said, no, I didn't have time for that. Um, I'm making a Grenade recipe, or I'm sorry, a, a sangria recipe with the Grenade, and she'll enjoy that. And he made all sorts of different cocktail recipes with, uh, with uh, our pale ale as well. So I just found out on the plane right here, he indeed did make that beer, but he didn't tell any about it, anybody about it, including me, because he didn't want to hear about it. If, it. if it went wrong or went bad, I thought. And he said, well, it tasted great. Uh, I made it with coconut. He added coconut and some other ingredients to the Grenade, maybe more hops. Because uh, he had gone actually to judge a home brewing contest, and one of the contestants had made beer with coconut, and he really enjoyed it. So I thought he, he held back on that. I thought, well, once you knew it tasted good, why couldn't you pour me some and bring it to bring it to the house? But uh, as my grandmother would say, that's that's too good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, how are we doing on time? Uh, we're doing pretty well. We got, Great.
Sure. Um, but first of all, are people allowed to have seconds of anything? Okay, yeah, don't be shy. Just take your glass up and ask for something. Mark can pour beer too. <laughs> um, as far as beer and food pairings, my philosophy is just don't be shy about it. Try it out. Um, it may work. I love beer and ice cream pairings, so I will even take something like Grenade and try it with some sherbet. Uh, one of our beers, Indian Summer, which we have downstairs, turns out to be a great pairing with orange sherbet. So get weird with it, get creative. Um, a couple of small rules that might help you out. Sweet beats heat. Um, sugar calms the, the capsaicin on your tongue. So if you want to calm a hot dish, drink a sweeter beer, like a, a nut brown ale. But if you want to bump up the heat, drink something hoppy with it. So if you want your Thai food to really burn the heck out of your sinuses, drink a pale ale with your Thai food. So you can do different you can take one food and do two different kinds of beers to get a different effect, and both of them are good. Well, Lazy Magnolia is in the Deep South, so Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, and Louisiana. Bayou Tesh is currently in Mississippi and Louisiana. They're a little bit younger and just kind of crawling out there. Yes, we're just here to tease you. Yes. Expansion plan. Well, I like to say I'm going to get as big as my customers will let me get. Um, so our expansion plan right now has been to take over the deep south and then start crawling up the east coast. I think that's going to make some sense for us and possibly in Texas. Stephanie? Well, our uh, business plan is to not be anywhere you cannot buy grits or, uh, <laughs> or get sweet tea is kind of uh, our motto. But now I have seen sweet I have seen sweet tea up here, so it may make it this far. Um, you had a question over here? Uh, whoa, that one's hot. Uh, in in, uh, in Mississippi, uh, we're still the only brewery, and, and and part of that is Mississippi, and part of it's the South. Uh, way back in the day, we actually we went to market with a European style wheat beer uh, that was cloudy, right? Uh, and people looked at it and said, you know, I don't know what's wrong with this, but when it looks like this, you don't drink it anymore. Which I'm sure, if you had a Bud Miller Coors, and it looked like that, you wouldn't drink it. So. <clears throat> well, and, and some of it is, you know, that, that part of educating the market. We're just now seeing, fundamentally, the South is very poor and very rural. And we are just now seeing enough affluence in the South that they can afford to drink something other than the cheapest beer they can find. And so, as we see, you know, as we see that affluence continue to build, we're going to see them pop up more and more. Uh, Louisiana now has, uh, when we started, Louisiana had... One brewery or two? Well, one production brewery and a brew pub. Right. One of each. And now uh, Louisiana has uh, Bayou Tesh, Tin Roof, Abita, Heinerbrow, Gordon Biersch, Nola. So, right, we've seen six pop up in the last five years in Louisiana. 
And we're actually in the process of putting together what I would call a beer trail uh, that covers the, the, the Gulf South. So stretching from Florida, uh, we might reach up into Arkansas and pick up Diamond Bear, and then, of course, Louisiana and Texas. Another thing we have in the South is we ha- we're in the Bible Belt. It's all around us. We've got dry counties. Really? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, North Louisiana. We like to joke at the brewery, you've got the Bible Belt, and then South Louisiana is like what's under the belt. So, uh, we, uh, we do everything to excess. They drink. You can buy liquor in a drive-thru window in, Louis- in South Louisiana, and, and you can't buy anything in North Louisiana. And so that's another thing we have to expand. It's, it's always driving trucks around where you can get to where you're going. I, I grew up Southern Baptist uh, and got excommunicated six years ago. Um, and um, it, it was the most amazing thing. We started the brewery. Uh, we were just trying to establish a footprint. Uh, we sold our first beer in actually March of 2005. Uh, and the very first group that came to us for a donation was one of the local Catholic churches. And they wanted us to give them some beer for their... And I was like, I'm sorry, who are you? What? Excuse me? What? Uh, where I become very, I became instantly educated, really, on just how wonderful Catholics are. <laughs> you had a question, ma'am. Uh, we are. Uh, over time, there have been a couple of brew pubs. Uh, Mississippi, being a very rural state, very low population density, it's very difficult for them to support a brew pub. Um, so we, we've had, over the years, we've had a grand total of five brew pubs. Uh, all of the four of them went out of business, and then just recently we had a new brew pub open in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Uh, they're running on a one-barrel system. Uh, and so they brew once a week, and they blew through the keg, you know, and that's it, right? You know, it's, it's a novel. John loves it. He's supporting, you know, everything that we're doing, but we are the only brewery in the state of Mississippi. Um, Leslie and I are motivational speakers now, and we live in a tent down by the river. Uh, now, uh, we, uh, everybody that worked at Lazy Magnolia in 2005, uh, Hurricane Katrina came through in August of that year. I do not recommend that you put a natural disaster of that scale in your business plan at the nine-month mark. Uh, if it's a little bit earlier, you can walk away from everything with no hard feelings. If it's a little bit later, you can survive it without too much trouble. But at nine months, is exactly the wrong spot. Uh, everybody that worked at the brewery lost their house, uh, and we really did live in a tent down by the river uh, for quite a while. I have currently burned up all of my favors. Uh, so we lived in a variety of places, in people's basements, under the houses, you know, those kinds of things. There are no basements in South Mississippi, of course, right? You're, the houses are built up, but you're living underneath. Uh, and then uh, we, it took a, about three years, and we got our house uh, rebuilt and moved back in. Uh, people say, why did, why did you live on the beach? And I go, I didn't. I was 10 miles inland, and we had 17 feet of water. So... You know, we're not 10 miles away from the... Uh, in, in a general sense. It's just all of South Mississippi and South Louisiana, for that matter, is really, you know, just a few feet above sea level. And uh, sometimes you get lucky. So we actually, uh, when I got, I got, I had a, an old Gremlins lunchbox. I don't know if, you know, metal lunchbox, right? Um, and somehow, uh, when I opened that up, having been flooded... Uh, there was actually a crab in it. 
So uh, it's, it was a special circumstance. I don't want to repeat it. So I built a concrete bunker uh, and with no carpet in it. I don't recommend you ever have to cut carpet out of a house. Very bad thing. That happier question. One happy question. Yeah, we're uh, one of the things that makes Mississippi very difficult, and I, I don't know how much of this is true in Louisiana, but in Mississippi, you you can only sell beer through a distributor, and we cannot give any beer away. So no tasting room, you know, none of those kinds of things, uh, which meant that we had to bite off distribution very early in our process and learn how that system works and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we now distribute beer from Lake Charles, Louisiana, to Tampa, Florida to uh, Nashville, Knoxville, Tennessee, and Georgia, I guess, uh, Athens, Georgia, on the other side. Any other questions? Well, we are running close on time. Just wanted to let everybody know we have some goodies here for you. You have some beautiful Lazy Magnolia glasses and some awesome hot sauce uh, compliments of Bayou Tesh, so don't forget to pick that up on your way out. But please keep asking all the questions you want. We'll hang out. And are the beads for decoration? or? Pick up some beads. Um, that'll be useful to you later. <laughs> I didn't say anything. Don't. What? Just work here. Guys, we are so glad that y'all came. Uh, we really appreciate you. Uh, we love people that are passionate about beer. And passion is one of those wonderful things. It's a double-edged sword. Uh, the one of the, uh, we went to a festival, actually uh, a little jazz festival in South Mississippi, and a guy said, "Give me, give me one of your beers." And I, I gave him uh, our Southern. Actually, it was actually I, I gave him Southern Pecan, and he took a sip, and he swished it around in his mouth, right, and he spit it right back into the same glass, and handed it back to me. And I was like, "I'll get you something else." <laughs> and then right behind him was this little old lady. She, she had to have been 120 years old, right? And she hobbled up to the beer booth, right? And she said, I'd like one of those Southern pecans, right? And I handed her a beer, right? And she swished it around in her mouth, and she said, wow, that's amazing. And I didn't tell her what it was, right? We hadn't even really named the beer at that point. And she says, is that pecans? And I said, yes, ma'am, that is. She says, that's absolutely gorgeous. And that's passion for you. You don't pick which side of the sword you're on, right? But you know you're not in the middle. Cheers, y'all. This podcast was produced by the Brewers Association and presented by Craft Beer Radio. To find more information on Savor or further podcasts, visit craftbeerradio.com slash savor or craftbeer.com. This content is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit craftbeerradio.com for more information.